Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for tuning in here this blessed Sabbath. And please remember to subscribe to the channel. Give us some thumbs up there of you that are active in the chat. Thank you to all of you guys out there that do support this ministry, support this channel through your giving and your stewardship donations. It really does make the difference, and we're so appreciative. Remember, we made the announcement, Passover 2020 is fast approaching upon us. Passover, a time to exit Babylon, to come under the covering and safety of the Lamb in these last days. April 2nd to April 5th, you can go to Torah to the Tribes, dot com forward slash connect and find out all about that but today we are in apocalyptic fury revelation chapter 5 let's begin as we now enter into some serious territory within the apocalypse so in chapter 5, we are looking at the scroll, the throne, and the kingdom of Yahweh now as we approach the seals. And then it begins. It begins. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a scroll written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. So the seven trumpets, which do come a little later, constitute the content of the seventh seal. And this is how we will find we get the bill, the build, excuse me, from seals to trumpets, and finality, of course, the bowls. The breaking here as we come into the fifth and sixth chapter of the seals don't constitute its content, but are actually preliminary and preparatory to the actual opening of the skull. The um, scroll, excuse me. My skull is opened up with all the information and power of his word that I have been meditating on this week. We live in a time of preliminary and preparatory blessing for us and judgment upon the nations. So, this is the theme of today's teaching, preliminary and preparatory as we enter into the fifth chapter. Because the scroll and its content isn't disclosed until all seven seals have been broken. We'll discover that the scroll does in fact contain the new covenant land deed that is administered by the Malkizedic priesthood in the last days, because it is, brethren, a covenant land deed. Yahushua's blood justifies us, it covers us, it redeems us, and it is a covenant reality 
which is the purpose of the book of Hebrews, is to explain that the blood isn't just a free gift. Of course, it is, but it has a responsibility connected with those that are covered within it. It's called covenant responsibility. That's what the writer to the Hebrews wanted to communicate through that book. And of course, that's a huge part of this ministry, understanding the new covenant in its Malkitzedic foundation. It's a covenant land deed. And there is only one who has the rights to that deed. And it is him who is worthy to open the scroll, none other than our Savior, the high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. We are going to find, we live in this preliminary and preparatory time where Yahuwah is at the helm of history. The prophecy of end time events, which includes the salvation of Yahuwah's people and the judgment of the wicked. Preliminary, we are in that time preparatory, not only of those coming out of Babylon, swiftly waking up to the lukewarmness of the church, but also the preliminary and preparatory teeing up, if you will, for the judgment of the wicked. If you can't see it out there, I don't know what to tell you. I see the preliminary and preparatory judgments coming upon the nations. It's all being teed up. And then on the other hand, I see flocks and flocks of brethren being teed up to the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is happening in both sectors, the kingdom of Yahuwah and the kingdom of Satan of this world. The events in our present day and the events accompanying the breaking of the seals are not the end itself. We're not at the end. We're not at the end. We are preparing for it. The events leading up to the end is where we're at. While the contents of the seals are the complexity of events which are both redemptive, land redemption is the connection, and judicial as far as judgment upon mystery Babylon. Do you see the two realms of where we are living? It is really like a teeter-totter. A teeter-totter. And we are the ones that are able to see both sides because of the covenant stability that we have that enables us to walk and be in the world, but not of the world. On the teeter-totter, the very axis not of evil, but of the blood of the Lamb. It's an amazing, amazing position because it is a position to be in. So as we now delve into the second verse, the contents, the contents consists of the material of chapter 7, verse 1, all the way through chapter 22, verse 21. The contents of this scroll that we are now starting to hear about, redemptive and judicial judgment 
is going to be coming. It is being teed up, it is preliminary, and it is preparatory, and we will see it will accompany the end of the world and the introduction to the world to come. And with the coronavirus, where did the leader go? Where did Xi Jinping, I, I, I don't know, did he, where is he? I mean, the, the Bible tells us that the leaders will seem to disappear and, and run to the cliffs and in the hills. And, and, and I wonder, but there's this tremendous outbreak, apocalyptic proportions. And, and, and where's Xi Jinping? Where is the leader of China? Where, where is he in all of this? I'm sure he doesn't want to be infected by that type of plague that we are now starting to see. And I wonder, where is this in the phase of the end times? Preliminary? Preparatory? Is it the end? No, it's not the end. But is it preliminary and preparatory? We'll get into a little about that. But not only that, we've got plagues of locusts. And the Australians are dealing with plagues of bats. And where is all of this? We've got a 200 million man we see coming forth in the future in the Bible, right? But the converse of that is Xi Jinping and the 200 million that have been infected by the coronavirus. And then I wonder about zombies and the walking dead because you know that they're trying to bring about forced vaccination. You know that this is preliminary and preparatory in the beast system. So this very chapter really is a time for us to prepare in our hearts and in the word and in our walk. Because it says in verse 2, and I saw a strong heavenly angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals of it? And no man in the heavens or in the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the scroll and neither to look at it. So this is a time now where we look at history because ultimately Yahushua is over and above all history. And here is the enigma of it all, a profound biblical truth. And this truth, of course, is what vexes and perplexes the whole world. Apart from the person and the redeeming work of the Lamb, history is a mystery. It's because of the Lamb that we understand history, which is why the world that hates the Lamb manufactures it. And this is where we live. History is revealed to have a divinely ordained goal, which, listen, is inseparable from the redemptive work of Yahushua. It's inseparable from his work because History, of course, comes to its final climatic conclusion with the Lamb as it was divinely 
upon Jerusalem at the crucifixion where we see history, the culmination of all that went before at that moment. And again, we'll see this again. And the devil knows this. His minions know this. And therefore, history becomes the problem. So therefore, the world influences men like Darwin toward an evolutionary view of irreversible doom. Irreversible doom, which is where, of course, our politics and the New Green Deal and Depopulation 2030 and Agenda 21 and all of that stuff comes from. It's all this Darwinian evolution and Mother Earth needs to be stewarded and she is our mother. What a bunch of baloney. But this is the world that has no hope that then tries to manufacture history. And at the tree was when history was sealed. When Yahushua died on that tree, history was sealed by the lamb. So if history was sealed by the lamb at the tree, where death, where is thy sting, is defeated at the tree, so then undeniably it makes sense that the lamb is the only one that can unseal its content. If it was sealed history at the tree, then it means that only the Lamb can unseal history. That's what Revelation 5 is telling us. And the world hates that. Don't you see that? It hates the fact that the Lamb sealed history at the tree and is the only one that is entitled legally to unseal it, and he's going to unseal it to them? No, to you and me. And he is giving us a preliminary and preparatory glance into it as believers today. And the world doesn't have that advantage. And we do. We do. Because we are no longer in the lukewarm church. We get the benefit, the blessing of being preliminary prepared by the Holy Spirit because we recognize that Yahushua sealed history at the tree and therefore he has the legal right to unseal history ahead of time for you and me today here in the ministry of the Malkitzedic priesthood. Yahushua and Yahushua alone holds the key to the meaning of history because it is his story. Without the Lamb, history is going bloody nowhere. Nowhere. The whole story of human history rests in the palms of the Lamb. And the world hates that. It vexes them, so they manufacture history. It's called sacred history that you've heard me speak about so many times instead of historical truth. It matters not, brethren. Take comfort. It matters not how dreadful things become, how fierce satanic forces are. It matters not because history rests in the palms of the Lamb. Yahuwah's spiritual world intersects man's historical world. The future and final victory of Yahushua is but a lone experience 
extension of the rule he now enjoys as he sits upon the right hand of the throne of Yahuwah. And the world hates that. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, of course, this is from Isaiah chapter 11, has prevailed upon the open scroll and has prevailed, excuse me, to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and in the midst of the throne and of the four creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of Yahweh sent forth into the whole earth. And verse 7, And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four creatures and the 24 elders they fell down before the Lamb, having each one of them harps and golden bowls full of spices, which are the prayers of the Israelite saints. I mean, these aren't Pelosi prayers. These are the prayers of the Israelite saints. We're not having any of that Luciferic Babylonian counterfeit in the assembly of the righteous. These are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to Yahuwah by your blood and out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And he made us a kingdom of priests to our Elohim, and we shall reign in the earth. And I looked and I heard a voice of many heavenly angels around a throne, and the creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And verse 12, and saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and glory and strength and honor. Glory and praise be. Hallelujah. And every creature which is in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth and as such are in the sea. And all of them that are them I heard saying, Blessing. And honor and glory and power be to him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four creatures said, Amen, they are main. And the 24 elders, they fell down and they worshipped him that lives forever and ever. That's my kind of history because it is his story. This is the new covenant scroll. It is good news to you and me. It is an entitlement to the millennial land that can only be awarded to those that are under the blood of him who is worthy to loose it. This isn't the kind of entitlements that they're trying to throw out there today because that's the story of the world. 
They're looking for the entitlements of social security, the entitlements of Medicare, not realizing the deficit and the budget and the absolute debt of the federal government, where two-thirds of federal spending goes on entitlements. So those that are under the age of the baby boomers that are depending upon this, 401ks and all of those will blow away any day. You see, these are the entitlements that the world offers. But Yahusha's entitlement is to the millennial land. And that is only because he redeemed it. He purchased it, purchased us, and has the land redemption rights. In fact, we could turn for the foundation of Revelation 5. It's a good idea. Let's do it. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 26 because we can enjoy the land for sure if we enter in and are faithful to the commandment-keeping terms of the covenant. And that's what the church misses. They think that entrance into the promised land is just a free gift with no responsibility. Yes, it's a free gift with covenant accountability. There's a distinction for you today. It's all about a covenant. It's only the lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, that brings us this opportunity today to re-enter the covenant the new covenant, because we are exiled. We are out in the nations. We had been evicted and cast to the four corners of this heathen earth. What, so that we could be swallowed up by the Babylonian whore? No, so that he could pull us out and bring us at back. It's Eden to Eden. It's the coming back to all that was before. Now, You've got 32 opportunities of being cursed out here in the nations. Way more opportunity of cursings. All around, 32 verses of cursings. Or the narrower way is there's 13 opportunities to blessing, which are connected to the 13 attributes of Yahweh himself. The blessings... Really, though, because they're connected to the 13 attributes of Yahuwah, they are without limited. Without limit, unlimited, I should say. Whereas the curses, they're very specific. They are limited, and they will only last until we meet the Lamb. And once we meet the Lamb that has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, Through our repentance, we're supposed to re-enter the covenant and then attain the blessing. It is the Garden Eden to Eden connection. Obey and return or disobey and be cursed and stay exiled. Eden to Eden. What do you want? I want a sip from our sponsor. That's what I want. So in the Torah, we've got 13 verses of blessing versus 32 verses of curses. It's expansive. It's explosive. And today, you'll find out it's epidemic. And that 
is what I want to talk about. Because as we go through this, the lamb that had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, redeems us from the curses if, when, but, meaning conditional, if we re-enter the covenant. If we don't, Hebrews 10.26 tells us that we have what? Trampled on the blood. It's called responsibility and accountability. The curses are for anomia in the Greek. A without nomia law. For lawlessness, trampling on the blood and then living anomia. The Lamb's blood forgives sin and it reestablishes covenant. Did you catch that? The Lamb's blood forgives sin and it reestablishes covenant. I spent 10 years in Calvary Chapel and I was given one part of a two-part gospel. I was given the blood, but I wasn't taught about the reestablishment of the covenant that the blood enables me to be a partaker of. I was given one part of a two-part gospel. Leviticus chapter 26 and the third verse. In fact, it starts, this whole section in Scripture, it starts with a Hebrew letter. And it closes with a Hebrew letter. And contained within those two Hebrew letters that are bookends of this very powerful piece of scripture of 13, representing the 13 attributes of Yahuwah. Yahuwah, Yahuwah Elohim. Merciful, gracious, and long-suffering. Abounding in goodness and truth. Extending mercy to thousands. Forgiver of iniquity, transgression, and sin. Who forgives us because he no means holds it against us when we re-enter the covenant. So there's the blessings. But there's also these great fearful bookended between the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the Hebrew letter here. Aleph, if you have your ways in my statutes and judgments and guard my commandments and you do them, then I will give you rain in due season. So the first blessing is the most important one to receive. It's the early and the latter rains. The early and the latter rains. And the Revelation chapter 5, brethren, is the latter rain that is being poured out upon us as a blessing. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And we know that people are trees, and we're supposed to yield this good fruit. And verse 5, And your threshing shall reach to the vintage, and the vintage shall reach 
to the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And I will give shalom in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. This is talking about lying down in green pastures and being in the land. It's about being prosperous. See, prosperity without peace is, is valueless. This is talking about the Sar Shalom, the prince, the prince of peace. And I will rid evil living beasts out of the land. So what we see here is that evil beasts, this literally means evil life out of you. Get it out of your life, the evil. Because the Hebrew phrase is chai ra. Get that evil life out. Neither shall the sword, because we know in Revelation chapter 6, the threat of the sword comes forth, does it not? This is preliminary and preparatory for us. Go through your land, that sword shall, in verse 7, and you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. So this is talking about warfare, not only of the world, but of the principalities in the demonic warfare and deliverance. And this is what the book of Revelation is all about. Our war isn't against flesh and blood. It says that we are to overcome the principalities. And we have to understand that is our main, main war. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And verse 9, I will have respect to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat old supply and clear the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you and my being shall not reject you. And I will walk among you and will be your Elohim and you shall be my people. I am Yahweh your Elohim who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go up right. The blessings here are bookended with the Aleph and then it closes with the Hebrew letter Tav. And that is the blessings. 13 verses right there for us of blessings. And then if you stay in exile, you trample the blood, you do not re-enter covenant, then you have what is the next episode, of course, the curses. And this is where we find ourselves born in this world, but redeemed from it. Really on that teeter-totter between the curses, which are all around, and the blessings which we must apprehend. The curses are arranged in a series of five groups of severe and increasing severity. So they get worse. The curses are arranged in a series of five groups of increasing severity. Number one, sickness and defeat. Number two, famine. And number three, wild beasts. And number four, siege. And number five, exile. 
Number one, sickness and defeat. I said, I think last week, I'll say it again this week, we are living in the roaring 20s. I like that phrase because I like history. And a hundred years ago, the roaring 20s, everybody thought they were at the top of the game. And then all of a sudden, while they were sleeping, 1929 kicked in. We are in the roaring 20s, the roaring 20s again. But there's something that people don't realize about the roaring 20s. 75 million people, more combined than the First and Second World War, died. From sickness. It was called the flu. There was a flu pandemic in the roaring, history repeats itself, in the roaring 20s. 75 million people died. Now we come to a place in the 2020s of pathogenic warfare. We have China's covert biological weapons program being unleashed and it is a travesty and it is preliminary and it is preparatory for what we will see at the end. We're not at the end, don't panic. I'm not saying we're at the end. I'm in fact saying just the opposite. But we are in a preliminary and preparatory phrase and we have to be very, very astute and aware of where this is coming from and make the connections. Because the Wuhan province in China is where 17 years ago the SARS virus had its origin. The Wuhan territory and province in China... You see, in 1957, we had the Asian flu. Then in 1968, we had the Hong Kong flu. And then, of course, in 2009, we had the swine flu. And now look at our state. And the connection is the Wuhan province in China. I've prayed about this message, and I've prayed, pray, please pray for me and my family. The Bible is very clear that we are to live in stewardship of our life, and I take full responsibility for that. So, okay, I'm, I'm a safe driver. I wear a seatbelt. So if anything happens to me, it was not at my own hand, and I am a very safe driver. But I'm not going to hold back talking about the Wuhan province in China. And I've, I've been a little fearful about it, but I, I have such conviction that, forget it, it's just, it is that time of preparation. And it is what it is. If Yahweh reveals to his servants through his word, and it's confirmed through prayer and in the word, then I and you have a responsibility to just do what we know we're called to do. Regardless, he will take care of his people. He will take care of his people. We're talking about pathogen warfare here. We're talking about aerial pesticide spraying. We're talking 
the preliminary stages of what is about to come through the very working of the beast system. And it all stems back to the same blooming place. It is the Wuhan viral laboratories. It is China's covert biological weapons program. And we are now in that point in history where Yahweh is revealing it to us to prepare the way ahead because the pattern develops in the apocalypse, in the revelation. More on that in a bit. But in chapter 26 of Leviticus, in the 21st verse, we see, and if you walk contrary to me, this is talking about the close of the curses, and you will not listen to me, I will bring seven times more viruses, pathogens, plagues upon you according to your sins. And he has no problem using Nebuchadnezzar. And he has no problem using Xi Jinping. No problem whatsoever. If you behave casually with me and refuse to heed me, what does this mean? It means that Israel's performance of the commandments, despite the punishment, would be haphazard and somewhat erratic. I think that describes the modern church. Their approach to Yahuwah is somewhat haphazard and very erratic. It is contradictory at most. Yes, we love Yahuwah and we believe that we should keep his commandments. Well, but then your life reflects something. It, it's, it, the double talk and the hypocrisy abounds, which is why we exited Babylon and we don't do Pelosi prayers because we know, whether it be the Catholicos or the Protestants, that the church system has been infiltrated by mystery Babylon indeed. So we do not look at his word as a matter of choice and convenience, but we look at it as divinely imposed obligations of covenant responsibility. Now, casually within this text, we see the word casually as far as it could be meaning with stubbornness. With stubbornness, people were like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm supposed to do that. No, we're supposed to draw close to Yahweh with a pure and contrite heart. Because look at 22, verse 22 of chapter 26 of Leviticus, looking at the curses and the blessings now at the close of the curse section. What does he say that he will do? I will also send wild beasts among you. Now, of course, the context of this later was, of course, when the Assyrians came in and there were lions that came into the land when the ten northern tribes were about to be preliminary and preparatory to their exile. There were lions that came into the land, wild beasts, to devour them. But the lions in the Revelation are, of course, those four living creatures that will either be for you or they'll be against you, depending on where you stand in relation to the Lamb. 
I will send wild living creatures among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. Today, we're talking something different than the Assyrians and the lions. We're talking biological warfare from the Wuhan province in China. We're talking locusts in Africa. We're talking plagues of bats in Australia. This is not a normal highway that shall be desolate. This is the viral superhighway from Hunan to Hong Kong, from Hong Kong to Helsinki, from Helsinki to Hawaii, from container ship to bus stop to city and homeless encampment around the states. This is a manufactured end time plot of traversity, or I should say, Travesty. Look at verse 23 of Leviticus chapter 26. And if you will not be reformed by me, by these things, but will have your way contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. He'll use Zing Zing P or however you can pronounce his name. I forget. I had it earlier. He'll use Nebuchadnezzar. He will use the nations to punish the nations. Then I will also walk contrary to you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the vengeance of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, when then, then he will send the plagues, the pestilence among you. Today, the pestilence is manufactured. And of course, it is a viral super highway. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. That is what we're seeing, whether it be a Nebuchadnezzar or those from the Assyrians, the Assyrian. Right now, we live in a time where Israel will be served up bread, but will still go hungry because they were not re-entering the covenant. That's why this Malkitzedic covenant reformation is so important for us today. Because look at the 27th verse of Leviticus chapter 26. If you don't listen to Yahuwah, if we don't listen to Yahuwah, if we don't have our walk in his ways and we are contrary to him, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And we know that we are living in this time today because Ezekiel, what's called the fourth chapter, we've done Ezekiel and the revelation of the 13 scrolls, but what the King James numbers as the fourth chapter of Ezekiel it is written, this will be a sign for the house of Israel. <coughs> Lie on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it for 390 days. I have laid upon you a day 
for each year of your exile. Now, we're talking about the Assyrians, the lions coming in. We're relating it to the book of Revelation. We're talking about the lions and the wild beasts. We're relating this to the Hunan province in China. We're looking at Zebuchadnezzar. We're looking at the parallels between Yahweh using the heathen Nebuchadnezzar and today the judgment coming from China and the leader of China being used for this great great devastation. We're not at the end, but we are at the preliminary and preparatory time. But the Assyrians, they took Israel captive in about 720 something before the common era. About, let's say 720 before the common era, okay? So, if you do 300 years, 390 years, excuse me, 390 years because of the 390 days, times seven, with seven times the punishment. Now, you remember, you know, my math has never been phenomenal, so check me on this. You've got 2,730 years of captivity. So let's go from 720 before the common era, when the Assyrians came in. And then we go for 2,730 years. That brings us to what? 2009, 2010. So Yahweh has been preparing his people from release of captivity. It's preliminary and preparatory from the past 10 years. I would say the most of you tuning in today, within the last 10 years, Yahweh has done a massive, massive work in your faith, in your walk, in your apprehension and comprehension of the word. I know that he has with me. This is our testimony because it is the end of the exile and now we go into the final phase. This is from the Bible. We are now coming into this great Great time where we're starting to see it because we're balanced on this teeter-totter of massive curses coming upon the nations, but tremendous blessings coming upon those that have been set free from captivity within the last 10 years. For many of us, the revelation has been coming fast and furious. Look at the 42nd verse of Leviticus chapter 26. And I know some of you are in the chapter. I thought we were doing Revelation chapter 5. Why are we in Leviticus? Because there's a connection that is so apparent that we must spend the time here. Because Yahweh says in the 42nd verse of the 26th chapter of Leviticus, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and even my covenant with Isaac. He doesn't say I'm going to remember the pagan steeples and, you know, the... the no, it's covenant that he... I'm not going to remember your prayers and your rocking worship. No. Amos chapter 5 tells us to beware. He's going to remember that you walked in covenant. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. For clarity of the responsibility of the saint, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and even my covenant with Isaac and even my covenant with Abraham will I remember. The patriarchs are mentioned here, of course, in reverse order because the only place in Scripture is where this occurs. The patriarchs here in reverse... Why? Because 
we would return to the roots of our faith, working our way, and it is, it does very much seem, working our way backwards, right? You think, you know, a salmon swimming upriver? No, no, our faith is like a salmon swimming upriver backwards. It's that you are going against the grain in everything. The way you run your business, your marriage, your children, your education, everything. We do it totally backwards, the hard way, don't we? The hard way, the best way, the Bible way. And that's why we see today, of course, this time moving from Jacob, Isaac, to Abraham faith in action, working our way backwards as we shed off the false religious garb that we had inherited those lies. Jeremiah tells us, of course, vanity and lies that we've inherited from our forefathers, whereas we are going to get the blessing because it culminates with covenant entry with Abraham, which gives us our jubilee rights to the Sukkot of safety, and brings us back Eden to Eden. The lamb that has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, unseals the restoration and reconciliation of us to us in these last days. Jubilee was a time when those that were displaced from their ancestral plot of land could actually return to it. And we have been displaced from our ancestral plot of land out here in Mystery Babylon. And Yahuwah is going to restore us back to Eden. The return of Israel. That's what this is all about. Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. To their ancestral plot of land, the land of Israel. It's a prophetic picture of Revelation chapter 5. When the Lamb looses the seals and redeems us from the nation. Because redemption causes what? What does redemption cause? Think of it in the context of the Jubilees. What does redemption cause? Redemption always in the Torah enables you to go back to your land of possession. That's what it does. If you were released at the Jubilee, you would go back to your vineyard. You would go back to your olive grove. You would go back and return to your possession. That's what we're to do. If we've been redeemed, we're to return back to our possession. And our possession isn't out here in the exile, in the Babylonian whore of mystery religion. That's why we are working our way backwards to Abraham. In that order. We're not staying in the papal system. We're not staying in the church. We are working our way back because we understand it's Eden to Eden. Jacob is Israel. It's the legal theme of land redemption by near of kin. And in the Torah, we can see the prophetic root of the instruction of land redemption. Turn with me. We'll finish up in Jeremiah chapter 32, and we'll look at the land redemption and how it relates to Revelation 5, and then hopefully close 
with prophecy, pandemic, and a population destruction of preliminary and preparatory proportions. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 6. We're going to see the prophetic land redemption and the right to buy back the land, which, of course, is played out in Revelation 5 by the Lamb, because the Lamb is who? He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one that gives us the right to return to the land. He is our jubilee. He goes through all the steps that are laid out specifically right here to buy back the field. Remember the parables that Yahushua spoke about, about the field, the treasure, the land? Well, Yahushua buys the land, John chapter 3, verse 16, for Yahushua so loved the world, for, for Yahuwah so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. And everyone stops there. See? Universal salvation for all. He cares not about the world. He only, the world is the field, it goes on to say. He only purchased the world, the field, not because he cares and loves the world. It's because within the field, there's a bunch of thorns and thickets that need to be cleared So he's going to clear the thorns and thickets so that he can see his land. And he's going to burn that brush up with a sickle harvest. And it's going to be burned to destruction and destroyed. And then he'll be able to look at his land. And then within the wheat that was buried under the weight of the thorns, he'll see his treasure that is buried within the field spring up. And his treasure, the Bible tells us, is Israel. He only is interested in the world, for God so loved the world, because within the field, the world is the treasure Israel buried in the nations that is going to be set before the feet of the king, casting our crowns before him. That's what the parable is all talking about. And Jeremiah lays it out for us, the theme of land redemption, 32, chapter 32 in the sixth verse. And Jeremiah said, The word of Yahuwah came to me, saying, See, Haniel, which means grace of Elohim, the son of Shalom, which means to fully recompense or to restore back to. Look at verse 7. The word, you see, will answer and fully restore By the grace of El, is what we're seeing unveiled here. It says, your uncle shall come to you saying, buy my field that is in Anatoth. And that means, Anatoth means to answer through prayer. For the right of redemption is yours to buy it. And in Revelation chapter 5, John mourns and weeps because he's like, who's got the right to redemption that is able to unseal it, the right to buy it? Jeremiah, of course, a long time before, now laying out this. Verse 8. So Haniel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard according to the word of Yahweh. And he said to me, by my field, I ask you, that is in Anatoth. It's interesting that Anatoth was a city of refuge. 
We're going to be fleeing into the wilderness, Revelation 12, and finding, of course, those places of refuge, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of your inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of Yahuwah. And I bought the field of Haniel, my uncle's son, that was in Anatoth, and I weighed for him the silver, even 17 shekels of silver. And of course, we know that silver was the currency of man's redemption, right? Joseph, of course, we know, spent 17 years in Egypt. And we know Jerusalem is in the Psalms 17 times. And of course, in Roman chap- Romans chapter 8, there's 17 things that are unable to separate us from Yahuwah. So we can see now these 17 shekels are represented throughout Scripture. And I signed the deed and I sealed it and I took witness and weighed the silver in the scales. Are you and I being weighed in the scales? That's being on the teeter-totter. The scales. Cursings. Blessings. Balancing. Being able to see the two. And then navigating through by the blood of the Lamb. But because we're able to do that, he gives us the blessing of preparing us for what is going to come before it happens by showing us through his word. And I signed the deed and sealed it and took witness and weighed the silver in the scales. So I took the deed of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the Torah and custom and that which was open. So now that very phrase explains to us that there were in fact two ways of sealing a scroll according to the Torah custom. The first way of sealing a scroll... In this case, the scroll would have been one sheet of parchment or calf or lambskin. It would have been lambskin. And it would have had a hole punched through the center. And the actual content, the land deed of the scroll, would have been written below the the center line and the hole punch. And it would have been rolled up and then a cord would have been placed through the punched holes. It would have been tied then it would have been stamped with seven seals. And then the loose leaf on top was the abridged version that you could refer to that would explain what was in the sealed scroll. You, could, you and I can read the loose leaf, but you can't break the seal. Then it would have been placed in what's called the Hebrew, the Bikli Chares, the earthen vessel or the clay depository for scrolls. Then you could come across it, you could pull the scroll out, you could open the loose leaf and see, oh, this is a scroll about such and such. But you wouldn't have the right to break the seven seals and loose the bottom and read its contents. You could just read the descriptor. That is what, of course, is written here in Jeremiah 32, what it's referring to. Now, the other way, according to the Torah custom of writing a scroll, is that it would have been written wholly, and then it would have been rolled all the way up, sealed with seven seals, and the abridged version would have been on the roll on the outer side of the scroll, telling you what was within, but again, you can't break the seals unless you have the right. That, of course, is the difference of what we see called out here. So I took verse 11, 
the deed of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the Torah and custom and that which was open. So this one tells you that this was the whole punch sealed and that which was open, as which is different from Revelation chapter 5. And I gave the deed to the purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriyahu, the son of Masiyah, in the sight of Haniel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that signed the deed of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the guard. And right here we have that particular Hebrew sign, the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega in the Septuagint that stands out. And then it goes on to say, The command Baruch before me saying, verse 14, This says Yahuwah Savot, the Elohim of Israel. Take these deeds, this deed of the purchase, both which is sealed, the lower half, and the deed which is open, the upper half, the abridged half, and put them in the earthen vessel, the Bikli Charas, that they may remain there for many days. There's the sign. This is going to remain there for many days until Revelation chapter 5. It's going to have a future fulfillment. The Bikli Charas, the earthen vessel. This actually is a, an amazing Hebrew word because we could just say, oh, it means earth and vessel. But Bikli Chares means so much more than earth and vessel. It actually means someone who shapes wood, a stone cutter or a carpenter. This is a sign to the one who will have the rights to open the future scroll. The vessel has to be broken to expose the transaction who really has the right to redemption? Think about it. You have to break the seal to expose the transaction who has the right to redemption. But if the earthen vessel also has to be broken to expose what's in it, now we understand the writings of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in a bikli chares, an earthen vessel, the stone cutter, the carpenter. Of course, this speaks of the excellency of the power of Yahuwah because we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of that very power may be from Yahuwah, not from us. And look at verse 15 of Jeremiah 32. This says Yahweh Savot, the Elohim of Israel. Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the deed of the purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriyahu, I made prayers unto Yahweh, saying, O Master Yahweh. Now this is exactly the same as in, in the revelation after the deed is done. Right? You've got the prayers, O Master Yahuwah. See, you have made the heaven and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands. You repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty Elohim, Yahuwah Savot, is his name. This 
is, of course, the foundation for Revelation chapter 5. And we know that Yahushua is the one that has the right to open the scroll. And as we now embrace our king, he has given us a view and a glimpse of what's to come. I believe these next few chapters are going to be very revealing, unsettling, but also comforting to us in these days that we live. Because we do live in clothes in a time of economic instability. I think we can all see that. The roaring 20s, yes, we're in. 75 million back in the 1920s died, of course, from the flu virus. We live in a time now of dreadful market manipulation. I mean, they can manipulate the stock market at the press of a button. And the corporations are, of course, the ones in control of the big, big money. Not only that, compounded with the political explosiveness that is going on in this nation, like I've said many times before, we haven't seen anything like that since right before the Civil War in this country of America. The West Coast is bloody toast. What do I mean about that? The homeless problem here on the West Coast is outrageous from California to Oregon to Washington. And you see that it is an explosion as, of course, the central and eastern states are shipping the homeless out here. And, of course, our politicians, of course, allow this to happen. And I've said and seen within this city, a capital, of course, of Oregon, um, just the homeless situation explode. I believe, it's just my opinion, this is also preliminary and preparatory of what's to come because the cities can't deal with the homeless crisis. They are ill-equipped and, of course, they have already looted and plundered the taxpayer and they are spending it on all of their liberal causes and they're not caring about humanity and small business. So hundreds of thousands of dollars has been wasted trying to clean up defecation and drug abuse. And then within four days, it's back on the streets again. This is preliminary and preparatory. The states are demonstrated they're ill-equipped on the West Coast. The cities... The counties have demonstrated they're ill-equipped. So who is equipped to take care of the homeless and now sweeping in the ones that are experts? And they actually do do a phenomenal job if you're a sheep ready for the slaughter to clean up after, of course, these terrible things like Hurricane Katrina we saw in 2005. None other than FEMA. FEMA will come in set up these encampments where they will bring the homeless, feed them, bring them medical attention and care, and the homeless will go for it. 
Then, after the man market manipulation, excuse me, you'll see those old age pensioner homes where so many uncaring children have warehoused their parents. They won't be able to afford the care of their parents. The next thing, the old and the aged will go, of course, to these FEMA camps, which will be a solution and a help to the homeless is how they sell it. The cities have failed. The states have failed. The counties have failed. The homeless crisis on the West Coast is preliminary and preparatory for what they want to establish in the FEMA zones across the very, very nations. And of course, then, for those that aren't going to go with the encampments within the cities by FEMA, the next thing is FEMA is going to work in collusion with the cruise ships. You just get a great free cruise, and it might even be sponsored by your local municipality. And off you go, and those cruise ships will turn into FEMA control zones floating out in the oceans. So beware, those of you that love cruising. So, you know, again, we live in a crazy time. This is something that I've delayed to speak on till now. Let's get your questions and comments going there in the chat, and I'll close with this. Please, again, pray for me. Pray for my family. But I'm not afraid because I know that the seven trumpets, the seven trumpets constitute the content of the seventh seal. And the third seal is what troubles me, I must say, most immensely, especially as I look at this through a preliminary and preparatory phase that we're in. Um, it really is the connections that have me troubled, confirmed to me, and it's connected, of course, to Zyklon, Zyklon B. What I'm talking about is the Wuhan province in China, the Beast's Biological Weapons Program, and the aerial pesticide spraying of Zyklon B. Now, I'm going out there on this, and I'm going out on a limb, and like I say, I just believe that we, as his people, do not need to be afraid but we also do need to pray for one another. What we're talking about is the connections that I've tracked to, of course, the Wuhan province in China. Talking about Zyklon B and this coronavirus, which I believe is biological weapons manufactured there in China by a Nebuchadnezzar-type figure, if you will, using that again as this preliminary state for judgment upon the nations. Many of you may know Zyklon B, of course, was used by those in Germany in World War II. The company that manufactured, and track with me here, we'll close very quickly and take your questions. Track with me. IG, the IG Farben Company manufactured Zyklon B. Now, you can do your own connections with Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates and Foundation and, of course, the Agenda 2030 
um, population control. That's only 10 years away, okay? But now we want to, let's just follow the bloody money, shall we? Okay, Zyklon B manufactured by, of course, the IG Farben Company. That then, from the IG Farben Company manufacturer of Zyklon B, it connects, of course, to the Allianz Insurance Company. And they're still around today. They've been around since the beginning of the 20th century. Who the heck are the Allianz Insurance Company? They were the ones carrying the life insurance on the Jews. So do they get a lot of money? Yes, they cashed in carrying the life insurance on the Jews. Now, of course, then they sell, of course, to the Gultani Huan Securities Company in China. And then they go and are funded by the Shenzhen Investment Group, or the GTJA, in China, which all connects this whole Zyklon B and this end-time prophecy all connects to Mabworks Biotech in China in the Hulan Lab province. So I've just come out and said it. I don't care. It's an obvious... I mean, it, it, it's absolutely insane. IG Farben Company through the trail, is now under the Mabworks Biotech Company in China, which is a grade four weapons biological laboratory in the Wuhan province of China. This is where, of course, the virus has its foundation. This is where the SARS virus had its foundation 17 years ago. And of course, this is where the corona virus has its foundation. What concerns me is that Zyklon B, it releases hydrogen cyanide when exposed to water and heat. This is the third trumpet. We are in a preliminary and preparatory phase for that third trumpet because the aerial spraying that is now going on in China and, of course, the cruise ships, the quarantine ships, and what they are spraying is Zyklon B. Of course, it is a derivative of that. And if they start doing that aerial spraying here... I mean, heavens forbid, but I see now as this is coming forth that that is why we are seeing a, a global sphere of activity and the connections, of course, go from the Mabworks Biotech Company in China all the way back to RG Farben Company and the connections with the bill Gates Foundation and Agenda 2030. It really does see, to me, how we are in this preliminary and preparatory phase. So I just felt that that was something, there's been a lot of fake news, if we will, if we should say about, you know, 
this coronavirus. Oh, it's nothing. Oh, this. I thought, well, you do your own research, but Zyklon B, aerial spraying, forced vaccinations. It's the preliminary and preparatory phase for the third trumpet. That's a lot to load on you. Let's take your questions and comments. I doubt there'll be any today, though. I doubt it. Let's see what we've got. Oh, your matters of... Never, never. Let's take a, a sip from our sponsor, from the um, Hunan... No, thankfully not. Thankfully not. South of the border. All right. This is from... Hashtag much more truth. Matthew, do you think the Christians are being martyred in these days? Excuse me. Do you think the Christians that are being martyred in these days are not actually Christians as we're told by the media, but actually Shabbat feast and commandment keepers like us? Oh, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm always very dubious. On, oh, I don't believe hardly anything the media says. I believe in the word of Yahuwah. But I think, I, I hope I understand what you're asking. Many of these Christians in Middle Eastern areas that have come under the, the sword and under, of course, strict judgment, are they feast-keeping? Are they Shabbat-keeping? I really don't know. But I do know that the devout, of course, in the eastern lands, the Middle Eastern lands, are being persecuted, whether it be those that um, are in um, what's called the West Bank. There are many, many devout believers and followers of Yahushua. And, of course, in some of those more Mohammedan countries where there is great persecution, great persecution. So I just think that we're going to see more and more as the, as the prophecies come closer and closer to us. Let's read and see if we've got another question here. This is from Kunjam Raskalthi. Sorry, massacred your name again. What is the effect of grace? And what is the effect of obedience? Grace. So grace is what empowers us to keep the commandments, not to live a lawless life trampling the blood. And obedience is an outworking of that grace and power by the Holy Spirit. It, of course, is action, salvation, and reaction, obedience, and outpouring. They, of course, are synergetic and that is the wonderful gospel truth. Let's see what else we've got here. Oh, here's a loaded question. This is from Jacob, Jacob James. What are the speaker's thoughts on Trump? What are my thoughts on Trump? Well, you know, I am um, not one to get into politics. I, I really don't. 
I think what you're going to see again is um, in these end times is you're going to see that that dark, dark system of wickedness and evil. And then you're going to see a counterfeit which appears light. And can that light bring forth some goodness? Yes, but eventually it's going to manifest corruption and evil and be judged. So I think it's two parts of the same coin. It's still the world and the Babylonian system. But am I, do I see that many things are changing? Yes. And do I see just like maybe Nebuchadnezzar or King, um, the kings of old in the nations that can be used for goodness? Yes. But then you've got the flip side of that where people are saying, oh, Trump is like Cyrus. Oh, I can understand why you'd say that. But let's, let's steady on there because you had a bunch of orthodox Chabadniks coming into the White House, you know, pandering to Trump saying, oh, you're like King Cyrus. Your name is the same number as the Messiah using this occult Babylonian numerology and gematria, which they like to do pandering to him so now you've got the Ashkenazi and you've got the synagogue of Satan pandering to Trump saying oh you're Messiah you know you could be the Messiah so that's outrageously dangerous so I just think you've got to be very cautious because it is the world system and not to get caught up into the politics because we're above that and beyond that and it's still a worldly system so have a look and see Oh. oh, there's so many good questions. Questions for Master Nolan. This is from Dane and Taylor. What is your advice to families that are having babies in this late hour? Is it really a smart thing to do? Thank you, Mr. Nolan. It is the best thing to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Keep the commandments of Yahuwah and bring in the next generation. Yahuwah loves the children and I love the children. Bring the children on. Gather them in. Do not be fearful for Yahuwah is with us. Be fruitful and multiply and that next generation is going to be even more powerful than our generation. It is the equipping of the saints. Demographics. Get down and bring some more children into the faith. I'm pretty fabulously clear on that. All right. This is from Cameron Jada. Shabbat Shalom, Cameron Jada. As far as moving away from cities, where do you suggest to move and how to prepare not to end up in the FEMA camps? That's a very, very good point. I can only tell you, you know, many, many years ago, I prepared as much as I could in the natural. And at that point, you just have to lay it aside it's really about the prayer preparing in your inner man, in your spiritual. If you've taken care of the natural, then you, you can now focus on the spiritual. So on the natural, all right? I mean, <laughs> you asked. I mean, let me get, I just got my work bag with me here. So I have my man bag. 
I do have my man bag. This is my man bag. I take it everywhere with me. So, you know, this is my work bag. I mean, I'm not going to show you everything in it. But, you know, of course, first things first, you've got to have a face mask. At any moment, things are going to get really bad, okay? Um, personally, I think the Second Amendment is fabulous. So, you know, we won't get into that too much. So, preparatory and preliminary. I've got a face mask, okay? I have, um, I love weapons and tactics and security and things like that. And, um, you know, I have a, a concealed weapons permit. You know, that is something that I do enjoy. I enjoy shooting. I enjoy those types of things. This is America. Cowboys and Indians are bound. But also, it's very good for people to have, you know, enough food that you don't have to go into the FEMA camps and access to water to make sure that you have got supplies just like they would have done a hundred years ago. They'd have had a hide of beef in the freezer preparing for the winter. We need to live like they did a hundred years ago. They weren't living on mac and cheese and microwavable meals. So preparation just for those basic things. Of course, security, protection, first aid. I mean, something I think is really good. I mean, I'm not into drugs and medications and whatnot, but in an apocalyptic situation, I, I mean, I'm not going to pay the prices for some of these um, antibiotics and um, penicillin, but what you can do is you can go to the pet store and you can get the antibiotics and the penicillin for the fish. And it's so much cheaper. I got a ton of that stuff because it's the same. They sell, the, the fish are on the same antibiotics and the same penicillin as the, what the doctor would give for humans. So I, I, you know, I joined some fish club like 10 years ago, and I got a bunch of fish penicillin and, and antibiotics. And you know what? Sometimes and penicillin is a, is, is a good thing to take and antibiotics in a time of preparation. So those are all of the things that you can do. You've been on, of course, you're online now. So those prepper things. Am I a prepper? Of course. What Bible person isn't? Oh, those still in the church thinking they're going to get raptured. So yes, that is uh, interesting, isn't it? bit too much oversharing. So don't go to the FEMA camps. No, no. Don't become homeless. No. You know, if you do become homeless, heaven forbid, then, you know, go to the wilderness. Go out into the land. Compass. Map skills. Have a light pack. Light is key. Don't be weighing yourself down with anything over 50 pounds. Be able to move fast and efficiently. So, you know, have some good cardiovascular health and keep your weight down if you can. So, let's have a look. When do you think this will happen in the USA? This question is from Chris Ariola. I mean the spraying, etc. Well, Chris, Bill Crane Mary, question for Matt. Will he write up the connections to Zyklon B and <laughs> You want me to put that? Well, I already put it on YouTube, I suppose. Well, why not put it in print? <laughs> so, yes. When do I think that this will happen? Well, I think it's most probably already happened 
definitely has already happened. The spraying is going on in China. It's going on in Hong Kong right now. It's going on in the FEMA cruise ships, of course, that they've quarantined. It's only a matter of time before it comes to the seaports. And so it's something to be very careful about, and, and especially, you know, I, I would definitely keep an eye out there on the sky and, you know, talk to those of others in the faith community like us that do actually understand there is such a thing as chemtrails, right? So, I mean, it's absolute. I, I, see, I see the spraying all the time. All the time. So, let's see. This question, Cassie, this one, Shabbat Shalom, this is from Cassie Germsey. Do you believe our view of the end and all the proof we can list out is a bit skewed because of how prosperous we are here in the States in comparison to other countries? Well, I do believe in the prophecies that I spoke about, about the 10 northern tribes being scattered abroad. Now, primarily, and I'm not the expert on this, I would say Stephen Collins is, the migration patterns of the tribes does inform us, of course, that the majority of Manasseh ended up in the United Kingdom and the majority of Ephraim here in the United States. So I do believe in the end time fulfillment is going to be largely that understanding coming from these communities. Of course, you've got the Gan, you've got Dan, the Danites, you've got, of course, the Germanic regions. We're scattered all abroad. That doesn't limit our understanding to those within the continental United States or Great Britain. But, of course, I believe that as the traditional understanding of the migration patterns that you can't overlook that importance in the revelation and unsealing of the prophecy. Is it skewed? I don't think it's skewed. I just think it's a question of where did the tribes migrate. There's a scattering all over the nations, but primarily Manasseh and Ephraim, and Ephraim being the majority of the 10 northern tribes. Stephen Collins does give you that tracking, and you end up with the United States and Great Britain. What else we've got here? Oh, I think that's it. I think I covered everything. Everything I could. Everything I could. Let's see. Oh, what a absolute burden birthed and lifted. I know that there was a lot to cover in Revelation chapter 5. But you ain't seen anything until we hit Revelation chapter 6, Yahweh willing next week. And give us some thumbs up out there in the chat. And please subscribe to the channel. All of you guys in the chat right now, if you're not subscribed, hit the subscription button. If you're watching later, now's the opportunity. You've hung with me to the end. Subscribe to the channel. It makes a difference. Leave some comments below in the YouTube. And remember, do your own research. Get prepared. We are living in the time of preliminary preparations for the apocalypse of magnificent proportions. <laughs>